we're back doing things with the podcast. Welcome to the Reed Brothers Podcast, where we discuss faith, culture, and, and all, all things awesome. spicy meatball that is going on in social media these days around a topic of uh, walking away from the church, walking away from your faith. I don't know how we want to say that, but there's a couple prominent leaders that have recently um, stepped away from the faith, so to speak, but we want to talk about it. So we had had some time off and we were looking at getting some other stuff shirred up, and we were wanting to record another podcast, and all of a the sudden there was this big social media storm regarding uh, the former Hillsong singer, um, whose name is Marty Sampson. And Marty had come out and just basically renounced his faith, um, quote-unquote. And he had said s- some stuff like, I'm genuinely losing my faith, I'm quoting, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. So there were some things that he brought up in this social media post, and it was just questioning science's role um, in trying to have a healthy worldview and how science interacts with faith and some questions about God's character. So how could God be so loving and send people to hell and stuff like that? And he, he basically said, I'm struggling with my faith and I don't know if I want to be called a Christian anymore. And so as a result of Marty doing this post, so he posted it and then deleted it pretty short shortly after, but uh, how the, me- the internet goes, it was already captured on social media. And so a lot of people began to, to make outspoken uh, renunciations of his leadership and leaders who struggle with their faith in general and are questioning and that sort of thing. Well, this is, again, all context, right? So if you've learned nothing from the Reed Brothers, context is crucial, right? So this is on the heels of uh, Josh Harris, I believe his name right. is, um, the the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye and other books. And um, he's he had just recently left the faith as well. Um, in a similar regard, he actually then like divorced his wife and it's a whole thing. He had already been, you know, kind of going against that, that book and the message of that for quite a while. But this is, this kind of, those two things back to back seems like it's gotten the, you know, the whole evangelical bubble in, in sort of a, a, a tiss. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a tiss. They're having a little bit of a thing right now. Um, we all are. And so now it's, it's, brought up this question, like, what is happening? Why are people leaving the church? It's kind of one of those age-old questions. Um, And of course, everyone's got their theories for that and their reasons. And so we've been brought a bunch of those things, and we just couldn't help but tackling some of those. Right. And and one of the things that really jumped out to us was a post responding to Marty. So people had already been kind of lumping uh, Joshua Harris 
and Marty Simpson together as two leaders that just frequently or uh, that just recently had renounced their faith. And the lead singer of Skillet posted a uh, an open letter to leaders and is kind of like, what is going on in Christianity right now? Why are so many people that are leaders and influencers, um, why are they using their place of influence to introduce questioning mm-hmm. and basically I chose to listen leading... to him as if it was Seinfeld, being like, and what's the deal with Christianity <laughs> right now? <laughs> <laughs> so he posed the idea of, so he, he starts opening up a Pandora's box of, um, so what's happening? Like, you know, and honestly, it was a, is a well-written article, um, you know, he had, there's a lot of good things in there. There was quite a few things that we disagreed with. Um, we're not going to go, you know, specifically after tat. that. Yeah, like that's not really the purpose. Uh, you can go and check that out um, wherever fine um, books are, are written and, and sold and, and viewable. Um, you will not find this because it's on the interwebs somewhere. Right. right. But go find it there and read it. And uh, it was, it was good. Um, the thing that sort of still pokes at us, I think, is, dare I say, inerrancy? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, it's it's been a slow-moving vessel of uh, the, the fundamentalists and evangelical churches of America and the theology that goes along with them. And um, I'll just say it, but... Uh, because I I was one for so long, um, but we no longer, at least I think I can speak for Andrew, we no longer identify as evangelical or <gasps> or fundamentalist for that matter. Um, and we have if you been know for, us, you probably know this already. Yeah. But um, and there's nothing wrong with that that belief system, but we we do see some of the the bad fruit on it and. What, what what fundamentalism used to mean and what it means now and what evangelical used to mean and what it means now, there's been a big shift uh, over the past several decades. And one of the things that is troubling that we've, we've discovered, because a lot of, I mean, Skillet is in the center of evangelical culture, and Hillsong has been for, for a while as well. So these are big heavy hitters, big influencers, big... Um, you know, thought leaders in these movements. And one of the things that's difficult is the questions that Marty was bringing up and just simply questioning things of faith at all in a leadership standpoint in other Christian traditions wouldn't, would not have been taken with the same level of severity as it, as it was in this case. And um, I had been talking with Andrew and I was talking about the idea that Hillsong Church for a long time has been going through this transition and has actually been departing from a lot of evangelical uh, theological points, dare I say. And it's been a transition that's happened over the past, I mean, even 10, 15 years. They've really kind of switched direction and gone uh, a little bit in, um, you know, they they did, uh, what was that song? Um uh, so will I. So will I. Right. I was going to say a billion reasons. Is that what it's called? A million reasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's a Lady I. Gaga song that Joel <laughs> Houston wrote. They, it was a co-write. It was right. A co-write. 
So a while back, Joel Houston actually... Giving me actually... a billion reasons. <laughs> Giving me a billion reasons. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what's it? Joel Houston yeah. did this thing, and they wrote this So Will I song, and they just said the word evolving. Um, in context, it's not even that... Yeah, um, it's like everything you've spoken think. is evolving in pursuit of what you said or something. It's yeah. like, yeah. So it's like not even necessarily talking about evolution, but just the word evolves being in a Christian song was like blasphemous. Um, one of our, one of the artists that was really influential to Andrew and I for, for a long time, you know, Michael Gunger at one point as well, who was uh, firmly in evangelical culture, with the band Gunger, he, they, he was came a out with a thing. Of God. Yeah, it was a friend of God. Now he's still a friend of God, <laughs> but not the church. Yeah, right. He went after the uh, seven day creation, like a literal interpretation of Genesis. Yeah, so he's questioning are the seven days that are talked about in Genesis, are those literal seven days or not? Um, and he's kind of thrown out of the club, the evangelical club. And you see some of these. Some of these artists, so Joel Houston wasn't necessarily treated the same way, so he's got a little bit more sway because Hillsong's written so many worship songs that we do on Sundays and that kind of a thing. I think he was given a little more clout treatment, but it began this this uh, distrust because there's a disagreement about what we say is fair game to question and what we say is not within the body of Christ. So like... Yeah, you're allowed to think for yourself and you're allowed to question up until this point. And then if you cross that line, then you're no longer part of the in-group. And so we're going to treat you differently and we're going to exclude you. So even some of the language um, that people have been responding to this Marty Sampson quote, um, or this post rather, people are just kind of coming against him and renouncing his leadership and saying, you know, challenging all this stuff that he's done, challenging songs that he's written in the past because of his questioning now, and, and all of this, these things, that when you break it down, it really becomes so exclusionary to the point that it, it, it starts to not look like God. Yeah, and this is hard, um, especially if, so if you're listening right now, you're more in the middle of the evangelical world, and it sounds like you know, there's no standard or there's no accountability or what is Christianity all of a sudden? Like, what are you allowed to say? What, you know, we need to keep leaders accountable and all these things are going to kind of come up in you because that's, they've been beaten in quite frankly, the, that process, that thought process is like very well ingrained that we have to be careful about what, what we can question. What are you allowed to question? And at the end of the day, it's like not a lot. You're really a lot. You're really supposed to like underneath the the thin surface of like no, we're we can be open handed. We're we're going to a friendly non denominational church. You know, you might not even know that you're in the evangelical church or a fundamentalist church for that matter. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's like no, it's non denominational. We you know we have hip music and you know we invite everybody in and gosh darn it, Jesus is the we're center here. Blah blah but, blah community church and yeah. you know we're doing the work of God here and. And but it's, under the surface, right. <laughs> under There's, the surface, it's like if you're not a, f- a fundamentalist, you're not welcome here, actually. Right. And what's funny is that all these uh, non-denominational churches that are really big in evangelical culture, if you strip away some of the facade, you realize that it's actually 
they've come out of a certain denomination and they still hold almost all of the same theological points usually as the denomination with some random change that they didn't agree with. But for the most part, the tradition and the history of the movement or of that community still holds the ideals of something that's not so original. Um, it's just not connected with any kind of other structure in terms of mm. governance and that kind of a thing. But, um, you know, the ideas of evangelical and fundamentalism, we like to think, um, have been around forever, and they just simply haven't. A lot of the ideas, so a literal a literalist interpretation of the book of, of uh, uh, book of Genesis, the first several chapters there, the creation story, having to be seven literal days, all that stuff is very new in terms of church history. Like, you really don't even get there until the, the 1900s, late 18, 1800s. And the, what's interesting is that the it seems like, and I don't want to. I don't want to come off here. Let me do a caveat. I don't want to come off here as poking, or, or that we don't believe on, that anything's literal in the Bible, right. or something like that. Like right. we're not just blanket statements saying nothing happened by any means. Right. It's it's a straw man. So so inerrancy. So when we talk about inerrancy, uh, it's either you believe that everything is that there's no errors, that there's no. Um, kind of disagreements, there's no contradictions, it's all just literally, it's the Word of God how it is, and any changes or interpretation, if you start to poke around with what's literal and what's figurative, it's going to get shut down immediately. Um, but when you come to more of an academic standpoint and really wanting to understand Scripture, so if we're taking the standpoint of everything in here is the Word of God, it's not changed, it's perfect, well, does that mean the KJV? <laughs> like, does that mean, you know, what translations are acceptable? What mm-hmm. translation philosophy is good? You know, how how close to the original text are we trying to get here? How Which much again, openness? Yeah, then you get, usually the argument becomes on the other side, like, well, it's perfect in its original manuscripts. You may have heard this language. Where... Right. And the, conveniently, we have none of the original manuscripts, so it becomes this circular logic that reinforces itself. Um, like if you look in mission statements or statement of faith for most churches, they'll use uh, infallibility, meaning that there's no um, failing, there's no failure, there's no errors in the word. Um, infallible or inerrant, which are very close in their definition, you'll see some of these things. But when you start to get real serious with the text, in, in, in mostly from an academic standpoint as well, the higher up that you start to get in really, let's dive into the Greek, let's dive into the Hebrew, let's get the context down, let's find out textual variants. You know, anybody who's, who dives deeper into studying Scripture, they begin to see how not everything is even meant to be taken literally within Scripture. You have psalms, and you have poems, and you have narratives, and the point and the objective of these works, because we say, uh, turn to the book of John or whatever. These are all separate books that make up our Bible that weren't even assembled until 300 years later after the last book was written. So we're talking about these individual books of the Bible that were written for different purposes and different things. Like you've heard us talk about this before, uh, how important context is when reading and understanding Scripture. And that's where, when we're drawing the line of here's the stuff that you have to believe in that you have to question and if you if you cross this line 
then you're in error. You're an apostate, you know, um, in the letter from the, the guy from, um, what is it? Uh, puddle of mud. <laughs> puddle of mud. Was it? <laughs> what was the band? <laughs> the lead Corn? singer? No. Was it, uh, no what is some it? sort of chin rock <laughs> somewhere along uh, the Skillet. Skillet. There it, it is. is. Yeah, That's so, the one. So the lead singer Skillet, he's like, man, apostate, this guy, you know? And, uh, you know, heresy, t- tossing around stuff like that. So it's like, what is the line that you're allowed to cross? So, like, for the record, we are all on board for the historicity of Jesus and the resurrection. So when you start, if you deconstruct that to where it's like, well, is Jesus even a real person? That kind of thing. Is Jesus just like a spirit? That's where it's kind of like, then you're not even really a Christian anymore. So we're talking to like Christians here, which is the whole point of the the guy from Skillet's article anyways. We're talking to the the body of Christ here. Yeah, he did have a nice caveat about that that was basically like, you know, I'm not talking to people that are are not in the faith right now. And, you know, I, I believe... We can have a relationship with people that hold different viewpoints right. and things That's like that. That's like the no But as soon as you zone. get in the church, yeah, then now it's judgment zone. Right. <laughs> now we judge the heck out of each other. And actually, we feel like it's our job to do that. Like, that's right. even the kind of scary thing. We're holding thing. each other accountable to the tr- the truth, the objective truth of the Bible and all this stuff. And as measured by me. Right. Right. Or my interpretation of the Bible. So let's literally. let's just throw this out there. So if we're agreeing on the historicity of Jesus and the resurrection, so we're like, we believe the word, we're all in the gospel accounts, we're going, we believe that Jesus is an actual person, came, died, uh, rose from the dead. So all of that his, historical fact. So if we all agree on that as Christians, which we should, then outside of that, well, what do you do with the Holy Spirit? Like, what role does the Holy Spirit play? Does the Holy Spirit just get you saved and then it's done? Or how do you do our spiritual gifts for today? Like, are we going to agree on that? What about women in ministry? Do we believe that women— I mean, even going back to the Trinity, you could even then go out, like, with the Father alone, and there's just, like, a can of worms. What's the character of God? You know, is it just full of wrath? You know, did we just, like, is he the mean guy that's waiting waiting to, like, strike us down with a thunderbolt and Jesus had to come and save us from that? Like, then we start going, okay, what about the atonement? What what actually even happened when Christ died? So we believe that happened. What are the implications of that? That is not something that's just, like, flippantly, like, oh, we've always believed the same thing in church history forever. Right. None of those things. Right. Not one of them. <laughs> not a single one. Or the rapture or whatever. It's like, show me where it says rapture in the Bible. Or, you know, there's all these different issues that we could land on. So just in the body of Christ, we have these massive theological differences that we have, and yet if you don't believe every everything the exact way that I do, then you're not in the club. So that that's where we start to get into some rocky area. And, and for me, reading this response, so... Um, we are infamous. So anybody who's been around faith for a while knows when, when a brother or sister falls. So a leader, when a leader has a moral failing, which happens all the time, I mean, you, you don't have to go far to see moral failing. Uh, when leaders fail, we immediately just devour them. We completely, like, stone leaders to death and, and so we have to take a stance because it's protection of, of the flock. You know, there's reasons we need accountability. Yes, we need to have a standard. Yes, there's all these things, which we totally get. 
But when we start to just devour people and go after um, the deepest part of their character and their value and stuff like that and just tear people apart, it's very, very concerning. And so this guy, Marty, is not anywhere near a moral failing. So, you know, honestly, I wouldn't even put in the same ballpark just even questioning some stuff about faith and and saying, hey— I don't think there's enough realness in the body of Christ. That was like one of his things. It's like, I don't have people that I can talk to stuff about, talk to about things like this. I want to try and seek after truth and go after what is right and go after God. But some of this stuff doesn't make sense to me and doesn't add up. Now, what do you do with that person in your community? So that's really what we want to target even today in this in this episode. I think that the big thing we've been kind of landing around is what we've been calling safe spaces, which is kind of a buzzword. Um, it kind of smells like, you know, millennials, Gen, Gen X or Z even, you know, kind of feels like that. Um, and I'm OK with it. I'm, I'm going to going to allow it. Yeah, <laughs> gonna leave it, leave it in there. Um, but actually, having legitimate safe places, you know, early churches were known as sanctuaries. Uh, they still are, um, even legally in a lot of ways. Like there are places where people can be safe from, uh, from the obvious fleshly, you know, carnal way that we want to attack each other when there's a problem. We want to attack it. You know, it's like the scapegoat thing. Um, we still want to create scapegoats where psychologically we're like, we put all of our stuff like, see, this is exactly why X, Y, Z didn't work. So because they were doing these things that we've been saying you're not supposed to do. So you put them in, in that bubble and like then banish them um, like the scapegoat. And that's really not what the church needs to do. Like Christ paid for that already. We need to actually be ones that forgive each other that love each other well, that embrace people, and that it people are actually allowed to be in their process where they're at um, when they come into our spaces. I believe that anyway. Like, most churches will say that. Like, you don't have to get cleaned up here. You know, come as you are. Like, we, we want to say that. We want to say that, you know, really strongly to to unbelievers. Um, but then the, the implication is immediately, like, look like us, though. Right. And then once you're one of us, you're never allowed to question anything. And there's all this fear. I mean, if you pick back under the surface a little bit of most of the evangelical thought process, there's so much fear around it. And and I say fear, like, because a lot of them, you know, might say, this, well, it's just the fear of the Lord or whatever, but it's really not. It's It's the fear of community. It's the fear of all of your peers saying, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it the way you were mm-hmm. supposed to do it. This is what we know that these are the truths, you know, so we're protecting those. You, If you even like question any of that, um, you're, you're just like an outsider. You're asking for trouble. And that's really, that doesn't look anything like the gospel to me. That doesn't look anything like Christ's way of, of bringing us in and letting, and inviting the questions, inviting us where we're at. We're not going to have all the answers perfectly figured out at every stage of our lives. Leaders included. Leaders aren't perfect. I've never met a perfect leader, and I've met a lot. I've been spending a lot of time with leaders in the last few years. That's that's one of those things that 
I still have yet to come across a perfect leader. And I, and I also have yet to come across a leader that I feel like I, I need to go after and call a heretic or whatever because they, they have make places that you can actually be free to, to investigate your faith and to work it out um, and, and actually do that in a way that honors God. I think that that process is more honest spiritually. It's more intellectually honest. It's more, you know, emotionally honest that we don't like because if you really get down to the heart of it we don't even know what we think like any one person about like any one of these issues like if if even we go back to okay christ why don't you give us your christiology you know go go for it like what does christ look like let's go you know let's let's run after that thread for a minute you know and if you do that i mean you're most likely you're going to spot off a bunch of stuff that you've been told and uh, and and what you think that looks like um Pretty soon, though, if you keep going after that long enough, if I made you write like a paper about what you think about Jesus alone um, and only use biblical texts and, you know, we just go after the thing, it's going to be perplexing. The man Jesus alone is is a, is a mystery, is more than we can understand. It, it, he represents, he's fully God, fully man. Go ahead and explain that to me on paper, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like everybody wants to say that and understand <laughs> that. But that's yeah. something that like how that actually works its way out in us is complex. And we don't like even understand our own thought processes on that and our own faith, let alone our spouse, mm-hmm. let alone our community right around us, let alone the whole denomination that we're a part of or not a part of. Um, and yet the scary thing about like the rhetoric around a lot of, I keep saying evangelical, it's more fundamentalist too, but, um, that, that thought process where it's like, we've already got it all figured out just accept these things, sign, sign on the dotted line here. Like we've already kind of worked out the, the statement of faith here. It is just agree with that and don't ever question because we know what it is. Like that thought process is just lazy. That's like intellectually mm-hmm. lazy, I think, um, in general, and I think your point was that even inerrancy is intellectually lazy, right? At, at its essence, right. That's one of the things I've been saying is is uh, inerrancy is it just strikes me as intellectually lazy, because that viewpoint it to it the idea that the Bible that God just reached out from a cloud and forced the writer's hand to write exactly verbatim word for word everything t- is a total misunderstanding of the majesty and the power and the wonder of God. Because God gets a hold of people and comes alongside and works through people and inspires people and brings creativity. And there's so much creativity and art that's found in the scripture that to just have it be this flat, you know, everything has equal importance. And I know that even that there's the passage in Paul where it's like, all scripture is profitable for teaching. Well, it's like, at that time, they didn't even have the canonized scripture. It's like, he's talking about the law and the Psalms and the prophets, and that's it. And whatever he had written up to that point, it's like, they didn't have all the scripture that we have now. So it's like, to just say that all of scripture is this flat document, I think misses out on some of the importance of how we read it and how we understand it and how we dialogue. And when we when we have everything be the, these big blanket statements for these humongous issues that we're dealing with, I think we run into a lot of trouble. And for a long time, let me just put it this way, for every theological issue, we're talking about things, there's nothing new under the sun. All of these theological issues have been around, and there's 
five, six, ten different theories on how on how things actually work when we dive into studying the Bible. And and most of the ones that are coming from an evangelical or fundamentalist viewpoint, a lot of them are really new. And not that that's a bad thing, but we have to connect with something that's that's bigger than ourselves and really understand that we don't have to have every single thing figured out to walk out our faith in a helpful way and to be close with God. That to have everything all intellectually figured out, line by line and precept upon precept, like people say, it's like all that stuff, when we're when we're trying to walk out our faith, it almost becomes this like religious um, like law structure that breeds weird religious religiosity, you know, instead of authentic Christianity, when we start to divorce the humanity away from people and all these issues. So like our thing that of what we want to have is maybe you don't know who this Marty guy is and you don't know who Skillet is and you don't know, you know, you're, you're just trying to figure things out on your own. Um, we want to have communities in Christ that are open to like, yeah, let's talk about LGBTQ. Let's talk about, you know, inerrancy. Let's talk about creation. Let's talk about how science and faith dialogue together. You know, like let's use our minds and try to get down to the bottom and not have to have every single thing figured out. And again, like we're all about Jesus and the historicity of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and following Christ, giving our lives to that. But that looks so vastly different. Like how many churches do you pass on your daily commute that are all have these difference of opinions and different viewpoints on how they walk out their faith? And for us to be like, well, everything about their tradition is nonsense or whatever, or they're just crazy— you know, or, you know, they, they speak in tongues, so they're weird or whatever, or they're, you know, they don't have instruments in worship, so they're dry and crusty or whatever, like whatever, like labels that we want to throw out there to create more exclusionary Christianity. I think that's setting us up to not be like Christ in the world and to not rally like the church needs to be rallying right now. You know, like post, they say it's like a, a post Christendom kind of world that we're living in, where people don't care about just going to church to go to church. There's no inherent value in this religious structure that I just like kind of go in and pay my dues and go back and and do this thing, and it's just like willy nilly. Like nobody wants that anymore. I want to have a community where it's like I can be honest with myself and. If we are going after this with our minds and we're going after it with our heart and all that we are, we want to get down to the bottom of something that's like worth living for and is worth, you know, giving our lives for, then we have to be honest and we have to have communities that are able to kind of dwell in the mysteries of God. That's the point. You know, we really haven't even had the canonized scripture for that long in human history in perspective. You know, it's really easy for us in our modern thinking to to kind of flatten that out and be like, well, we've, we have this, this is the way it is, gosh darn it, that's good enough for me. And this, this thing of certainty kind of, you know, sinks in, which we've discussed before. But I think a lot of it, um, a lot of that certainty is just, you know, around the fear if, if we get it wrong. You know, we've, we've got to get this right. There's It's such high stakes. It's like, especially when people have been 
really tormented with, you know, the concept of hell in a particular way that that looks, you know, and if you don't do everything right, it's like, you're just going to like, this is going to be terrible for you for eternity and all this. I mean, those are some really high stakes and we know that. And and I, I don't, I don't mean to say that there's, you know, not hell and all that. Don't hear me say that. Um, I am an annihilationist, which means I think that you, that only lasts for a short time, but that, that's still, there are, there are consequences to not choosing life and not choosing Jesus specifically. I hear that. But choosing Jesus means choosing people. Yeah. And choosing the difficult people specifically. You really cannot look at Christ without looking at the marginalized, the ones that are hard to deal with, the one the the black sheep, the ones that are you know running away, the one. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's the heart of Jesus. That should be the heart of Christians. That we're not choosing to say, oh, look at that one sheep that went away. Like what an awful sheep he is. You know, right. we're supposed to be the ones that like love and and rejoice. And when that when the father goes and finds that sheep and brings him back, and we're supposed to be the ones that actually go and do that work. If we're doing the work of Christ on earth and not just making our Christianity about our get out of hell card for later, but if we're making it about how we live our lives now, that's the big thrust right there is that we actually need to be ones that are building bigger tables, not smaller tables. We need to be the ones that are inviting more people to the discussion of look how good Jesus is. Let's discuss this. And yes, there's still pain and suffering in the world. The Christian walk isn't a perfect walk. It doesn't mean that everything just goes away. All of our problems go away. It doesn't mean that suffering in the world or these big concepts as if we've got that all figured out, why that works and why that is. You know, one of the articles that we read about this was like, you know, from more of an apologetics lens. And it was like, we, we've already got this stuff solved. You know, we like just show them some Lee Strobel videos and, you know, we'll get, get this thing done. You know, and, and I'm not knocking that. I think apologetics has a, is a beautiful role in actually showing that there are Christians that are working this out intellectually and working out with within science and within reason and showing reasons why this isn't just some fantasy religion that makes no sense. You know, and that's valiant work. That's good. That's a piece of the puzzle. But the thing that I think I, I see apologetics typically fall flat in is that it doesn't leave to an encounter. It doesn't leave people yearning for a relationship with God very often. It just kind of clears the debris so that they can actually, you know, be ready to listen um, and to, to want to do that. But in general, I, I think that the the purpose of the Christian life is to actually be a, a one who sees Christ, experiences Christ, knows Christ, and does what he did, you know, does the same thing, goes and gets the lost and, and welcomes them into a family that's good, that's here and now. And, and it's messy. Family's always messy. So, you know, when we have the, those that have been close to us and that we thought the same way in pre- previous seasons and they're rethinking things, it's hard to not just be like, you're doing a terrible thing. This is not what you're supposed to do. Um, and we've really been trained to do that. Um, and I think that the call right now is to maybe rethink that, that methodology. And is that really valuable? Has that helped us? Has that been the bee's knees really? Has that solved the whole, you know, problem of keeping people in the faith? You know, I, I think that the numbers don't seem to suggest that that has been effective. So I, I, I would like to see the church build safer spaces where we can actually come together and bring our, our doubts, bring our fears, bring our insecurities, you know, bring our stuff. We, we want to be ones that are open to say, 
you know, I, I have faith, but help my unbelief maybe is a better statement, a better way to look at, at the whole, the whole picture instead of it just being like, oh, I know for sure. And I'm just gonna, you know, gosh darn it. That's the way it is. Hmm. Even like our, the charismatic culture that we're in, I see that a lot because um, we're good at experience. Honestly, we're good at wanting to be in the presence of God and wanting to to, to experience the living word as well as the, the written word. Um, we're really good at that. But a lot of times what when we're stronger in the prophetic um, and some of, some of the movements specifically how they interpret that— um, tend to want to look past your circumstances and go to the the next thing. You know, like I can't think about the fact that, you know, I don't have any money in my bank account right now, but I I I can look at the promise that I'm a son of God and I you know, I'm a king and a priest and you know, God wants to bless me, so I'm going to look at the, you know, and I've gotten 20 prophecies that I'm going to be, you know, a millionaire. So I just know that I'm going to be there, and so therefore we want to look at the promise and keep our eyes on the promise as if that's faith instead of being honest with how we feel in the process and where we're actually at. And even if those prophecies are right, even if those are coming, they're not here today. <laughs> so you can actually be on, you can hold that in, in more tension where um, you don't have to just pretend like it's, it's this one way and that's it, but we can actually be real about where we're at with our faith now. I think it's similar in, in some of these questions, you know, like where are we at with science um, and the new things that are, you know, discovered every day? Where are we at in new biblical interpretations that the university and really brilliant thinkers are, are going after, people that love God well um, and, and are trying to do their best to understand what the Bible is saying, which is a tricky book. You know, what are we doing with those new things that come out? How are we stewarding those? How are we interpreting them? How are we letting them you know, affect how our view of God looks. And are we not, you know, you don't have to believe everything you hear either. That's, we can be in community and all agree that, you know, someone who says, I'm going to worship a chair now, that's what I feel like Jesus is saying or something. It's like, okay, we probably don't need to do that. But I also don't need to kick that person out of the church. And I don't need, I, I feel zero responsibility to be like, get the heck out of here. You know, you heretic. You know, I feel very little responsibility to do that. And actually, I feel way more responsibility to talk to the guy. Be like, how'd you get to that conclusion? You know, mm -hmm. walk me through that. Where exactly uh, are you going with that, you know? So, like, the Word is still our foundation. And there is a, a measure of objectivity that we hold in tension of the Bible is our standard, but it's also not our ceiling, that, that is smothering, you know? So if there's scientific breakthrough and we, you know, or, or AI has this big advancement and we, we have all these different set of tools, you know, it's not going to completely shipwreck our faith because we're able to use the Bible as our foundation, as our launch pad to understand the world. And, you know, like, what does the Bible say about, you know, there's a lot that the Bible doesn't directly touch on. How do we deal with that in a modern context where it's like we're talking about shepherds and goats and whatever and animal sacrifices and whatever, and so we're like, how do we engage in a modern culture with this? 
you know, there's a, there's a little bit of work that has to go into our part of like understanding it. But, but like for a guy who comes in and it's just like, I've, I feel like God told me to worship a chair or whatever we can, we can be like, yeah, you know, tell me, tell me about your experience. How'd you get here? You know? And we can have truth that we hold on to where it's like, you know, if, if somebody says like, I heard God tell me that I'm supposed to, you know, like do something dangerous or whatever, or like do something that's like wrong. We're going to be like, Hey, well, that doesn't sound like the God that we know that's peace, love, and joy, and, and mm-hmm. faithfulness and kindness and gentleness and all these things that are fruits of the spirit to look toward, you know, like God should always be leading us toward love and toward serving the other. And if God isn't, then it's probably not God, you know? Um, so we have things that we can work on, but our, I guess our point here is that when we start to become so um, matter of fact with people's lives and experiences and, and shut them out and exclude them as being other than us, then we're missing the point of what it means to, you know, lay our lives down for our brother, you know, and we can come alongside and, and, and we don't have to agree on everything. You know, we've, we've never been more divided, man. It's crazy to talk to people right now. It's hard. I get that. You know, we, we, in, in our church culture, if you're not a Republican, it's a weird thing. Like, you feel very isolated and, and you know, like, shut out and stuff. And I know that there's a lot of, of politics that have gone into religion and to the, to the point where people are like, I almost just don't want to talk about politics and religion at all or anything about that. Let's just, like, go do our own thing and have our anonymity, you know? And I, I get that, but if we're going to live in authentic community— there has to be a way that we can dialogue about the things that are important to us without sharpening our Bibles into shivs and stabbing each other and doing, you know, doing stuff like that, but really allowing opportunities for questions to happen and for us to give thoughtful responses and not just pretend like we've got it all figured out all the time as leaders either. Um, we want to extend the table and make a spot for everybody and... Um, really welcome people in because it could be that friend that is questioning that they've always been told that they're not welcome. And so if you extend your hand in fellowship to them, it could be the the strength that they needed to press into God and to actually have that that encounter that could change their life forever and you could you could be like Jesus to that person. And most Christians know that. Most Christians are okay with that. And they, they're going to say immediately, like, yes, we need to love people, especially the lost. But, and then there's always this big thing. You know, if that was true, though, this, the street cred of the church would be far different than it actually is right now. You go talk to the average person that does not care about a church or has no, you know, religious affiliation whatsoever, like what they think about Christians, what they think about the church— it's usually not the first thing that comes out of their mouth like, oh, they're super loving and gracious and forgiving and accepting of the other and the ones that want to care for the, the poor and the broken and the, the destitute, the ones that, you know, the widows and the orphans, like they're the ones, you know, that that are just loving. They're just big balls of love. <laughs> That's usually not the, the, the PR that the church has. And it's unfortunate because all of those things are glaringly obvious signs of Christ. So... If those are not what's happening, maybe we need to rethink 
how we're actually applying the teachings of Christ. Okay, so obviously the church hasn't done a great job. We get it. Okay, so that you know Christians could be better. We could be nicer to the you know the people that are outside. But still, we're still talking about inside our walls. What do we do inside our walls? Well, what we do is we we still fragment. So we still have so much of the Protestant Reformation blood like all over us. We've got that. Like if we have a difference of a of theology, of dogma, of any kind of basic practice, what do we do immediately? We split. <laughs> Church split. You go across the street. You guys do your thing. We're gonna do our thing. We'll be happy, you know, separately. Um, that's the real the bummer about our consumerist Christianity now is that it's just like you've got options. You can go find somebody who believes anything you believe, and yeah. at least what you think you believe or what you think they believe. You guys can pretend that you're all on the same page for a while. Um, although the problem is the minute you differ on something, now you've got it like you've made your your union about agreeing on everything all the time. Mm-hmm. So when you disagree, you can't have any agreement. You can't have there's no there's no way to actually have differences together in community like that. So what you have to do is then go to some other church or leave the church. And I think that that's far closer to what's actually happening in these cases of people that we hear are just losing their faith that they're not losing their faith as much. I mean some of them are fine, but I think that it's far more um, often what's happening is that they're just not welcome to actually hold different viewpoints as the people that are they're in community with, at least for the a season. You know, let people do where, what they're doing. Like, let people be honest about where they're at instead of forcing them to pretend that we all have the same viewpoints all the time. So what we've gone to in our community is really rallying around fathers and mothers and community. We're not rallying around us all agreeing with the same exact theology or the same way to interpret every every piece of scripture, and that's that's a wrestle. That's a, that's something that's intention. It's like you agreeing to sit down at the Thanksgiving table with your family, even though you know Uncle Bill is got you know is, is a crazy radical right wing you know whatever gun toting whatever, and you know Aunt Tina on the other side of the table is like a flaming liberal and you know voted for Bernie and. You know, like nobody's throwing each other out of the house. You're actually deciding, well, we're family. That unites us. We're, we don't just get to not be around each other. We have to, like, then talk about our stuff and try to do that civilly. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times people see that in family units that are super dysfunctional. And so, and it doesn't work all that well. And so the only thing that works is, well, we just kind of don't get together very often or we don't talk about anything real. You know, we talk about the sports or something because that's easier. Um but with the fam- the body of Christ, we have to talk about the real stuff. We have to be in the same room, but we're supercharged with the love of Christ. The one command Christ gave us is to love one another like he loved us. That's the way we do that, is by being in the same room with people, by talking to people that don't look like us, that don't think like us, that don't vote like we do. That's really the point. We're not supposed to just segment into little, like, everyone's got to you know, be a hipster and love craft beer for me to under, like love them. You know, I, it's easier for me to do that because that's what I look like. That's what I am into, you know, but it, it's very good for me to be sitting around the table with, you know, a boomer who's African-American and has a completely different expression than I do and, you know, votes differently and thinks differently and has a, a whole different life story and life journey and thinks different. 
That's actually love. That's what the body looks like. That's what the body's always looked like. That looks like a nomadic people. That even from the beginning, the Jewish people were, you know, different tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's not the same one. There's not one tribe. We've got different tribes. We're, that's okay. Um, and that doesn't mean that everybody has to, like, we have to have one universal church or something either. It's okay to have different churches and, like, to go down the street and, and do that thing. Um, but I think that the the thing that I, I, if I try to keep my ear to the ground of what God is doing in this generation, I see it as being a, a call to actually more inclusion and mm-hmm. more uh, rallying around each other and around Christ and not about the peripheral issues that we've made it about, like how we interpret the Bible, if it's an errand or not, or what our views on any hot button thing, LGBTQ or border control or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like those are not the main things of the gospel. Like the main thing is still loving one another is holding each other with um, a value where we can see Christ in people. Well, we want to have a community that is able to withstand questions. We want a community that is so unified in our faith of who Christ is that we're not threatened by any questioning. Because even like uh, Marty Sanson, he he had done this post and then he redacted it and then he did a, another post. And in his post, he had something that I thought was really interesting. And he just said, you know, uh, if you're honestly seeking after truth wholeheartedly, you're going after it, like you're going to find God that way. If you're honestly, the bottom of your heart are going after truth and going after who God is, then God will show himself to you because that's how strong our God is. So if somebody is wandering away, it's like we can we can encourage them and uplift them and help point them to what is what is good without beating them over the head. So we say questions are good, they're okay, they're natural. Our God is big enough for all of our questions. Our community is big enough for all of our questions. Thanks for joining us on the Reed Brothers podcast. Make sure to like, comment, and share. We appreciate your support. We'll see you next time.